0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. And those who travel it wind up in the gutter the prison of the grave. This time a peddler of pulp paper love, a blackmailer with muscles, a south of the border chiseler, a simpering prude, and a corpse in a bedroom. All had one thing in common. Each was a woman. It happened like this.
2: From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Lady's Night.
1: The sauce is boiling furiously, eh? which is right now. Add one full cup of tomato paste gradually and stir vigorously. Okay. One full cup of tomato paste gradually. Oh, no. No, not now. I'll be a minute. Yeah, I said I'll be... Oh. oh, no.
3: Ooh. Ow. All
1: right. So I add tomato paste cup and all.
3: Okay. Okay, I'm coming. Who is it?
1: Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to you, Kay Vannerman.
0: Yes, darling. staunch friend Kay. Am I welcome? Me and my small Western Union joke?
1: Oh, sure, sure. Come on in. Come on in, honey. We'll go in the kitchen.
0: Oh, it's not Marlowe playing chef again. What is it this time?
1: Well, sauce a la Marino. Mm-hmm. Mm. What's on your poor little rich girl's 14 karat mind tonight?
0: You. It's Tuesday. Tuesday? Yes. This is meeting night in my crowd. The Greens Committee at the Country Club, the Beverly Hills Mail Choir, the veterans of this and that.
1: Mm. So, no men left. Oh, except staunch friend Marlowe, huh? Look, uh, K-Baby, just because I. Uh... That did
0: that did I know it by huh? heart, Phil. Just because brave private detective once saved rich Uncle Enoch's niece, K-Baby, from lots of trouble. For which
1: he was well paid.
0: There's no reason why they've got to go on seeing each other. Well, Mister, you're wrong. There is a reason. A big, fat one. I like you. Lots. You know? Especially on Tuesdays.
1: I can't tell you how happy that <laughs> makes me. Now, I'm look. I'm
0: not being too bold, am I? I did call, you know, three times. You weren't home all day.
1: That didn't discourage you?
0: uh uh-huh. If I can't have you, I'll take the doorstep. Tuesdays. Hmm.
1: On Tuesdays.
0: <clears throat> now, uh, about this sauce a la, who do you call it, what do we do first? Fish out the cup or wait for it to melt?
1: Well, it all depends. If we want to, uh... Hey. Hey, that thing sticking out of your pocket. Real telegram or prop for gag?
0: Oh, no, no prop real thing. Oh? I met the boy in front of your door.
1: Here. Open it up, will you? My hands are greasy.
0: So I noticed. Over there, self reliant. It's called soap and water.
1: Oh. Mm. Well, read it, dear. Straight like, huh?
0: Okay, straight like. Uh-huh. Try to reach you all day. Very important. Get uh-huh. the tulip room, sunset strip at eight tonight. We'll pay you. Tuli your fee. Time means everything. Gigi Armsby.
1: You know her? Give me the towel, will you?
0: Yeah. I think. Sure. She's the demon editor for Passman House.
1: Who published what?
0: Magazines, torrid love, great passions. You know, the shop girl's encyclopedia. Uh huh.
1: Well, now tell me, shop girl, where'd you meet editor G.G. Olmsby?
0: At a cocktail party about a year ago. She's quite a character. Sleek to look at. And listen to? Oh, someplace between a career woman and a marine sergeant. Credit good? Mm, excellent. Mm. Uncle Enoch once shook hands with her, and that's better than Dunn and Brett. <laughs> hey, where are you going?
1: The Don Jacket and professional demeanor. Both are going to the tulip room. Oh, Phil, can but I... you're not.
0: Phil, that's not fair.
1: This is Tuesday. And the sauce Alamarino needs one measuring cup removed. A delicate woman's touch from here on in. Bye bye, Kay. You're a staunch friend indeed. The uh, tulip room was one of those extra chic spots, you know, curled up at the foot of the Hollywood Hills, where the velvet and the maitre d's tone of voice made you sure you had egg on your vest. But that, plus the crew-cut glamour girls who lined the boots and shrilled Darling, no matter what was said, made finding my prospective client that much easier. In severely tailored banker's gray flannel, she stood out among the neighboring naked shoulders like a wart on a cue ball, as did her voice which, once it had gone through the introductions, came right to the point.
4: Marlowe, my problem is simple. I want to find a woman in a hurry. Her name is Henrietta Lawrence. She's a good hack writer who disappeared. I know not why. Health?
1: Likewise.
4: Now, here it is. One, two, three. A couple of weeks ago, Henrietta Lawrence showed up in my office from someplace like Seattle or Portland, I forget which, and handed me an outline for a three-installment serial story that was excellent, according to our standards. Hmm. Three days ago, she brought in the first two installments, also excellent. But the day before yesterday, when the third installment was due, I was sitting in my office window when this happened. She only got as far as the front door. What happened? I don't know. She saw somebody going by slowly in a car. Scared the daylights out of her, and she hobbled for her a cab. Wait a minute, wait
1: a minute. Did you say hobble?
4: Yes, yeah, she limps. Uses oh. a cane. Anyway, she piled into this cab and took off. Haven't had a word from her since. I'm worried, Marlowe. She's a nervous thing, the kind who'd go to pieces, little ones fast. So I want you.
5: Gigi Ormsby, oh, oh, as I live
6: and ah. breathe, this <laughs> still, Michael, bear, darling, I want ah, you. Ah, busy, Jeanette, busy.
4: So I see. And what's the handsome gentleman's name or am I supposed to get? It's Dracula, darling. We're uh, counting the white throats. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, Gigi, you're priceless. Goodbye, Jeanette. This is business strictly. Well, I was only being friendly. Excuse me, darling. Happy business. Oh, what they let loose after dark. (laughs) Anyhow, Marlowe, I want you to find this girl. She may be in an awful jam. Now, what do you want to know?
1: Well, description might help, Gigi.
4: Okay. Henrietta's about 35 on the drab side. No makeup, no jewelry. Each time I saw her, she was wearing the same thing. A plain brown coat, a plainer brown hat, low heels. All in all, the sex appeal of a tumbleweed. Mm -hmm.
1: Last I'd rush your hat on her? It's
4: the only one. Brace Hotel for Women, room 7. Mm. It's over on Fountain near La Sienica. But she hasn't checked back there in two days, either. The giggling flower of the old South desk clerk I talked to on the phone today hasn't the slightest idea where she is. But I figure for you, she mm. might, Marlow. She's probably got a face like a wet hemp. Her name is Clarice.
1: Well, we'll try it. Where can I reach you, Gigi? At
4: my home in Brentwood. Sunnyside 9, 1011.
1: 1011?
4: Yeah, I'll stay next to the phone. Mm. Really, do your best, will you, Marlowe?
1: Okay, Gigi. It'll be my best, all right. Don't worry about it. I'll call you.
6: Good hotel. Miss Violet Maul? Oh, one moment, please. Go ahead. Oh, hello. Can I... Um, can I help you?
1: Are we alone? Is the switchboard closed?
6: Why... Well, oh, well, yes. Good.
1: You see, I'm a private detective named Marlowe, Clarice.
6: <gasps> a private detective? And you know my name. Oh,
1: we find things out. <laughs>
6: Oh, how can poor little old me help you?
1: Well, it's about Henrietta Lawrence, the girl with the cane. Mm-hmm. She's in trouble, and uh, I think it's a man.
6: So do I. Who? Well, I don't know. You sure? Positive. She was always so quiet, so mysterious. It was enough to make a body
1: curious.
6: Oh. So one night I followed her. She went to Annie Stringer's Hollywood Health Club. Uh, that's a lady's Turkish bath over on Santa Monica Boulevard in Dohaney.
1: Hmm. Well, maybe she ducked in there because she knew you were following her. Huh?
6: Oh, no, I was very careful. Besides, she had something to say to a woman there. Uh, I know. I saw him talking in the doorway when I went by. Couldn't see who it was, though.
1: No man, huh?
6: No. <laughs> but I keep my eyes open when she comes back. Oh, you do
1: just then. <laughs> keep them wide open, Clarice. They're lovely eyes. Oh. <laughs> Good night, honey. <laughs> client was wrong. Clarice did not have a face like wet hemp. It was more like a batch of biscuits, but the body curious had provided a lead. As far as the corner of Santa Monica and Doheny, and into the white antiseptic-looking reception room of Annie Stringer's Hollywood Health Club, women only. My husband said, My there I forgot about Clarice, hemp, and biscuits alike, and thought instead about something a whole lot tastier, like the girl who was leaning on the corner of a desk marked information while she made pencil marks on a chart. She looked up when I closed the door and started toward me. But when another door in the room opened and a woman who was built like a sack of cement bore down on me, she turned back to her chart.
3: Yes, sir. I
5: help you. I'm Annie Stringer. We don't have a men's section here, if that's what you wanted.
1: No, it was something else, Miss Stringer.
5: Annie will do. Name's my stock and trade. (laughs) Something else like what?
1: Henrietta Lawrence. I'm looking for her.
5: Who are you, mister? What's your name?
1: Philip Marlowe. I'm a friend of Henrietta's from Portland. They told me over at the Brace Hotel that Henrietta might be at your place. You see, someone had seen her come in here once.
5: Henrietta Lawrence, uh, Mm huh? Well, name doesn't mean anything to me, but...
6: Mommy, Mrs. Gordon wants you to come be for a while.
5: All right, Hilda, be right there. I uh, don't recall anyone by that name, Mr. Marlowe. but you might check with my receptionist there. Uh, Take care of the gentleman, will you, Mona, dear?
7: Very well, Annie. I'm coming, Mrs. Gordon. I'm... I'm
5: sorry, Mr...
1: Marlowe, Mona, dear. Philip Marlowe.
7: Marlowe. Well, I don't recall any Henrietta Lawrence ever having been with us, but why don't we check the registration cards at my desk and be sure. I might be mistaken.
1: All right. She's a woman about 35. She wears no makeup and... Never mind. Huh? I
7: know her, amigo. What? Just listen. You see, Mr. Marlowe, the cards here list everyone who ever visits the club. Mm. Why do you really want Henrietta Lawrence?
1: Well, I'm a private detective with an interested client.
7: Who has money, amigo?
1: It could be. What's your connection here?
7: Receptionist. Oh. And good friend to Annie. Or, um, competent, you might say.
1: All right, say it.
7: Meet me in the alley behind the hardware store across the street in a half hour. We close then. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Marlowe, but we don't seem to have any listing of a Henrietta Lawrence. But perhaps in the... No, future... never mind.
1: Thanks just the same.
7: Well, you're quite welcome.
1: Don't keep me waiting, amigo. I killed most of the 30-minute wait at an all-night beanery a block away where I drank bad coffee and listened to a special monologue from a waitress, which was worse. And at exactly 10.30, I stepped into the street and walked to the alley behind the hardware store who cautiously tore the dark shadow of the building into a hand that gripped like a bear trap snapped shut on my upper arm while another locked my wrist high into my back.
5: Ooh, one inch, Mr. Marlowe, and I'll Ooh. break it off and hand it to you. Ah. I was a lady wrestler, understand? Oh,
1: do I still call you Annie? Never uh, mind hey. the
5: wisecracks. It's oh. been a long day and I haven't got patience. <clears throat> now, what's your angle, flatfoot?
1: Oh. Slip, baby, in more ways than one. Start talking.
5: All right, all right. Henrietta came from Seattle, not Portland. So now some advice. Forget Henrietta Lawrence, Shamus. You can't do her any good.
1: You're a liar, Annie, and you know it.
5: You're wasting your breath, Shamus.
1: Let's bluff Annie hot air.
5: Yeah? I suppose that goes for the letter, too, I suppose. Letter?
1: You slipped again, kid.
5: What about it? You don't know what letter I'm talking about. But Mr. Marlowe, Henrietta Lawrence, does. So tell her to call off the bloodhound, or that letter will go right to the cops. They'll know exactly what to do with it.
0: Get going, sweetie. Oh, hey. right, Ralph, it's, well, it's, uh, your head off, Lauren, uh, Peter, uh, while you can still walk. Go.
5: All right. But I'll be around, Marlowe. So don't forget the message I gave you for Miss Lawrence.
2: In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... The kindly physician of Rivers End, Dr. Christian, will meet the spirit of George Washington in a most unusual way this Wednesday night when Dr. Christian tells his story on most of these same CBS stations. An elderly patient who claims to have a personal message from George Washington comes to Dr. Christian's office and presents him with one of his most perplexing cases. Dr. Christian, starring Gene Herschelt, is a regular Wednesday night feature. Now, with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, The Ladies' Night.
1: Kay watched Danny Stringer lumber out of sight down the alley. And she turned, tossed me, and I told you so, smile and lit a cigarette for me. Here.
0: Well, I guess it's a good thing I chucked that scullery-made routine and followed you after all, wasn't it?
1: Look, I've already said thanks, so go ahead. Get real corny. Rub it in. Marlowe pinned by a woman.
0: <laughs> that was no woman, Phil. <laughs> it was the late gargantuous cousin.
1: Yeah, I was also outnumbered and surrounded. By the way, where's your gun, Kay?
0: I don't have any gun. Just what? a lot of love and curiosity about what you were doing out here in the alley with a creature like that.
1: I was taking a judo lesson.
0: By correspondence, maybe? <laughs> what was all that about a letter?
1: Well... For my money, the way things stack up, G.G. Ormsby's top writer won Henrietta Lawrence. It's being blackmailed by Annie Stringer, and that letter is Annie's protection. It goes to the cops, if anything. Take it outside quick. What?
0: What's the matter? Marlowe, not another
1: one. Yeah, what? yeah, my date, Doc. Will you go on? It's important.
0: All right, but don't forget you're a sucker yeah. for a hammerlock, so watch it. Hmm? Senor
7: Marlowe?
1: Over here, Mona. Oh,
7: see. You are he right here. Are we alone?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're alone.
7: Good. It is worth my life what I'm going to tell you. And we like me alive, no?
1: Look, what is it, Mona? You know something about Henrietta Lawrence? See,
7: more than enough. There's a certain letter.
1: Oh, you know about that, huh? Sure.
7: I know where it is and what it says.
1: Bless you, baby. Where is it? I want that letter bad. It's nice. Nice?
7: See, and I would love to give it to you for nothing, but. But what? But my poor mother, she needs an operation. My father, the mortgage, on her aunt... Your little
1: sister sure. wants music lessons. Uh, come on, kid, how much?
7: How much is the life of Henrietta Lawrence worth, Phil, dear? To me, to you, to Henrietta Lawrence.
1: Her life, huh? I'll see what I can do. You
7: better do real good, amigo. It's a very serious thing. I take a great risk. Any stringer is stupid. But she's also strong like a bull. You come to my apartment. in North Ardmore, number D... One hour.
1: Dee, huh? Okay, I'll be there.
7: Good. And please, amigo, you don't hold hard feelings against me. Not for this. You know, business is business. is pleasure, no? Maybe we can mix them. In an hour. i will be waiting for you, Phil.
1: How do you like that?
0: It was as touching a little scene as I've ever witnessed.
1: Skip it, Kay. This deal is liable to get rough before it's over, and I've got a call to make. Let's go.
0: And I was dumb enough to warn you against the ha- hammer lock. The, the, the hammer lock that that kid holds is like a pat on the head. Can I go with you just for laughs?
1: Yeah, yeah. We're going to call on my clients. You're scramming. Come on. Come <laughs> on. Marlo, Gigi, got a line on Henrietta, but you're not going to like it much.
4: What do you mean? How does it go, Marlowe?
1: Trouble is, she's got blackmail. I don't know what the hook is, but I have word of one of the bargainers. is plenty serious. Who's doing it, Phil? A female mastodon named Annie Stringers, the big wheel. I got onto it through a letter. A letter? Yeah. Annie wrote her protection letter. It's got all the dirt in it and goes to the cops if anything happens to Annie. It's a standard routine.
4: Where is this letter? Who has it?
1: It's a double-crossing little Spanish number named Mona. We're supposed to meet her again in an hour at her place.
4: We must get that
1: letter. It's no sense, Gigi. Mona's not bright, but she's sly. It's liable to be expensive. That doesn't matter. Okay.
4: Anything I can do to help Henrietta, I want to do now
1: more than ever. What does that mean? I've heard
4: from her, Marlo. She called me just a few minutes ago. Where was she? That's the tough part. She was crying. She said it was the end of everything. She tried to tell me about the last installments of the story, then she was interrupted. She gasped out something that sounded like American Airlines ticket office.
1: Then the line went dead. There are three of those offices in town. Yeah. Well, we better check them. Look, can you take the one out in Beverly Hills? I'll get the others.
4: All right. And, Marlowe, uh, where does this Spanish thing live?
1: North Ardmore, 8310, Apartment D. I'll
5: meet you there in an hour.
1: When Gigi hung up, I sent Kay to check the airline office in Hollywood for a woman carrying a cane in a big load of trouble, telling her to call me at the downtown agency within half an hour. And I headed south for the office on 6th Street. Halfway down, it began to rain. You know, the kind of dismal, misty drizzle that makes your clothes smell like blankets at a fire sale. I spent a fruitless half-hour peeking into corners and trading descriptions, and finally, when Kay called in a negative report from the Hollywood office, it was high time to beat it out to my appointment with Mona. The rain had put enough dazzling sheen on the pavement to make the going slow and slick. But I got out to 8310 Ardmore not over a minute late. Apartment B was the last on the right and completely dark. As I walked toward it, I found myself following a set of feminine footprints rapidly filling with water. And besides, each left print was a little round hole. By the time that registered on me, I was already at the door and could hear her crying inside. I didn't wait to knock. Mona! Mona, it's me, Marlo! For Pete's sake, what happened to you?
7: Oh, Phil! Phil, that woman was here waiting for me in the dark. She had a big club. When I came in, she grabbed me and beat me with
1: it. It was a cane. Not that it makes any difference now. Hey, your apartment's arrest. She got the letter, huh?
2: See, she got
1: it. And look, look at this awful Later, later. Food. Right now I want to know what that letter said. You can forget about me paying the Mexican national debt for it. I want it free and fast. Come on, what's Annie got on Henrietta Lawrence?
3: All right, all right. She, she knows it.
1: What? Somebody's outside there. Oh, it's Gigi. Come on in, Gigi.
4: Hello, Bill. Who's this, the tortilla pounder you told me about? Just a minute, you. you can All right, hold it, minute, hold it, hold you. it. Take You're it easy. you lousy housekeeper, sister. What happened? your hat dance get out of control?
1: Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Henrietta scooped this Gigi. She was here and got the letter herself.
7: She what?
1: Yes. We were just talking about the letter when you came in. Now, let's get on with it, Mona. What's Big Annie's pitch?
7: Supposing I won't tell you now.
1: Then I'll have you in the pokey for attempted extortion before you can say, Pancho Robinson, beautiful. Come on.
7: Well, okay. That's better. Well, you, go I tell. I don't know what Henrietta Lawrence means to this, this dragon here, but she's a murderer.
4: Oh, are you lying little tamale talker, that's
7: impossible. Henrietta's a fine girl.
1: You know what you're saying, Mona?
7: Sure I do. I read the letter, didn't I? Henrietta Lawrence killed a woman in Seattle four years ago. And he saw her do it. She had names, dates, places, everything. I can't believe it. I just can't.
4: She's such a swell person. Look. She even left this, the final installment of the story for me, in that Wilshire ticket office. What'll we do, Phil? We gotta help her.
1: Okay. Since neither she nor Annie counted on Mona here reading the letter, the best way to help her is to try to keep her from committing another murder.
4: What, are you crazy? What are you talking about?
1: Come on, Gigi, get with it. The letter was worthless, except as Annie Stringer's protection. Yet Henrietta went to all the trouble of getting it. Why? So she could shut Annie up, and there's only one way to do that.
7: Killer. Holy mackerel, I didn't even think. You should, Signora. You got nothing else to work with. Drop dead. Stop it! Stop it! Gigi, Both of you. Up here. crazy.
1: Better stay clear of it from here on. Gigi, go home and wait for me.
7: Okay, Phil. Whatever you say. Call me as soon
1: as you can. Sure, you? sure. All right, come on, Mona. Let's go. Me? Yes.
7: Oh no, amigo. The letter's gone, and so is Mona's interest. I'm very tired.
1: Now I listen, I should... you. You cut yourself in on this right at the sombrero. You know Annie, so you may be able to help okay. me. It's that or spend the night in the cooler. Add it up, sweetheart. On
7: Forceful, amigo.
1: Come on, let's go. Well, Annie's not in her apartment and she's not around the health club. What's next, Mona? Where else would she be? Search me, amigo. Thank, will you? Has she had any appointments lately that didn't fit with her regular routine?
7: Well, she went out on Fountain Avenue in a big hurry a couple of Fountain days.
1: Fountain Avenue. That's where Henrietta's been staying in a hotel out there.
7: The Brace Hotel.
1: That's it on the nose. Is Annie dumb enough to go there now tonight?
7: Sure, she's stupid, and her strength makes a wreck.
1: That's it. Let's go. Come on, Mona. It's here on the first floor. See there.
6: You again, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, it's me again, if Clarice. you looking no... for that Miss Lawrence, yeah. number seven. Uh-huh. Well, you're sure in luck, Mr. Marlowe. She's in now. She came back about a half hour ago with a friend, the biggest woman I ever saw. Annie, it's strong middle, you were right.
1: Yeah, come on, let's get back there. Oh,
6: Mr. Marlowe, you can't go back there. You're a man, and this hotel is for now women only. Now, look, sis, you here. got a
1: passkey there, haven't you? Come on, this entire night from start to finish has been for women only. Getting sick and tired of it, present company included. Where's number seven? Penny. This is it right here. here. Henrietta! Unlock it, Clarice, fast. Uh, Get back.
7: Henry. Dead with a knife.
1: Yeah. Go ahead and scream, Clarice. Get it over with.
6: Where, where where's Miss Lawrence?
1: She no doubt left by the window here. Yeah, it's still open. Only five feet to the ground and a clear set of footprints in the wet dirt, cane marks and all, just like.
6: Just like what, Mr. Marlowe?
1: I started to say, like the ones I saw earlier. Sure, the last entombment of the story, the letter at Mona's, the airline ticket. Now she's out of it slick as a whistle. Clarice, call the cops. Here, give them my card. I'll get in touch.
6: Well, where are you going, Mr. Marlowe?
1: To break the unpleasant news as gently as possible to my client.
7: Here, what about me? What will I do now?
1: Just keep looking at Annie, a beautiful, chiseling, double crossing jerk. Maybe you'll learn something, but I'm not going to count on it.
8: <laughs>
1: Gigi had a lot of lights on in a glossy Brentwood house. As I walked up the wet, curving flagstones to a door, I could see her inside pacing slowly back and forth. An impatient cigarette in one hand, a stiff brace of brandy in the other. Whatever Gigi Ormsby really thought or felt about Henrietta Lawrence then, I couldn't tell. But I was sure that before I left, she was going to despise her.
4: Phil, I've been waiting for you to phone me. I Something bad, isn't it? I can see it in your face.
1: We found Annie Stringer's body, G.G., in Henrietta's hotel room.
4: Ah, what a dirty, dirty shame. And Henrietta?
1: Gone. But she won't get far, not this time. The circle gets smaller every time. She can't keep on killing. It's got to stop someplace.
4: Yeah, I suppose so. But I'm sorry for her, Phil. I hope she got a plane ticket tonight and is miles away by morning. I hope she gets a break this time.
1: She didn't buy a ticket. She's not even running. And she won't get that break.
4: You talk as if you know where she is, do you?
1: Mm-hmm. You've been to Seattle, haven't you, Gigi? Oh,
4: of course, but not for years.
1: You lived there. You were a writer before you became a publisher.
4: Why? What is this?
1: You knew Annie Stringer long before tonight, too, Gigi, huh?
4: What are you driving at, Marlowe?
1: That your real name is Henrietta Lawrence, that you killed a woman in Seattle once, changed your name and got away, but there was a witness. And a couple of weeks ago, purely by chance, that witness, Annie Stringer, ran into you, recognized you as Henrietta, and grabbed at the chance for blackmail.
4: Stop it, Marlowe. So
1: you had to bring Henrietta Lawrence back to life just long enough to get rid of the witness. But first you had to get a letter she'd written and also have someone who tell a straight story to the cops... You hired me. Planted the right leads along the way. Get away from that desk. Don't try it, Gigi. You can't win, so at least lose gracefully, will you?
4: This was in one of my books. No one would believe it. You're right. I can't win. It's all true, Phil. Where was the loophole?
1: It started only as a hunch. But everything fit. I got it from the cane you used, Gigi, at Mona's place. The cane marks were on the left side of your tracks. outside the hotel window, they were on the right. Anybody who really has to use a cane couldn't do that.
4: Such a little thing.
1: As a matter of fact, it was.
4: Look, Marlowe, you're the only person between me and that break. I got more money than I know what to do with. I can bid high, really high. You wouldn't be for sale, would you?
1: No, baby. Just for hire. Get your coat, Jeezy. We're going down to headquarters. Getting the whole business down on police stationery one orderly step at a time was a process as full of, well, as full as the fiscal report of the First National Bank took twice as long to whip up. But finally it was all over. I was on my way home to my bachelor apartment. And then I remembered something. Never
0: mind explaining what took you so long, darling. You're here now. Dinner is ready and waiting, and the martinis are ice cold. Just come on in and close the door. Yeah.
2: The adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman McDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, G.B. Hunter, Constance Crowder, Lillian Baeff, Gene Bates, and Michael Ann Barrett. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard (laughs) O'Runt.
1: Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a friend with millions, a myopic chemist, and a long-haired piano player were thrown into a panic because a brilliant young lady with a gun was taking a big step in the wrong direction. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time, a friend with millions, a myopic chemist and a long-haired piano player, but thrown into panic because a brilliant young lady with a gun was taking a big step in the wrong direction. It happened like this.
2: From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story The Big Step.
9: Mr. Marlowe, I, I always figure shoes are just like faces. How's that, champ? Well, They make it old and they make it wrinkled, but they're still okay as long as they got a shine on
1: them. <laughs> yeah, it keeps that right in condition, huh, champ?
9: <laughs> yes. Uh, hey, let me just spank up this one again, huh?
1: Sure. Oh, come in.
10: Miss Marlowe? Yeah? Oh, excuse me. I didn't know you was busy.
1: That's all right. Okay, champ. I guess that does it. Here you
9: are. Oh, thank you, Mr. Marlowe. I'll uh, see
10: you tomorrow.
1: Right. Well, now that my shoes have a new lease on life, won't you sit down? Miss, uh...
10: Canter, Mrs. Betty Canter. Oh. I'm a waitress at the Shelton Cafe. I need your help, Mr. Marlowe. There's something you could do for me. You free to take a case?
1: Well, I'm free, depending on the case. What is it?
10: Well, today, this friend of mine, Shirley Vitello, comes into the restaurant where I've worked. She takes her usual table, and while she's waiting for her order, she starts reading the paper.
1: It's all quiet so far, Betty.
10: Yeah, but just when I'm bringing in the tomato juice, it happens. She sees something in the paper that scares her. Scares her bad.
1: What was it, Betty? Do you know?
10: I don't know. She muttered something, and then she runs out of the place. Her face was gray like ashes. Later, I got to worrying. I called her at home, then at the lab where she works. Even her husband's studio. No luck. Now,
1: wait a minute, Betty. I, I don't quite get the connection. You and Shirley Vitello, I mean.
10: Oh, I don't know We're social. We're only chummy at the restaurant. She's been eating there for years.
1: Well, that's the basis for friendship.
10: Yeah. Well, about six months ago, I was in bad trouble. And Shirley came through with 200 bucks when it seemed like more money than I'd ever seen. Yeah. It kept me and my husband together. So, you see, she means a lot to me.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, look, Bet, what was this about a lab?
10: Well, Shirley's a technician. She works as an assistant to a chemist named Softman. Abraham Softman, out on Melrose someplace. Mm-hmm.
1: What about Shirley's husband? Do you know him?
10: Gilbert? Oh, yeah. He comes in with her a lot. He's a piano composer and a real nice guy. Mm. He lives for his work. He's unknown now, but he's a real genius, oh, Shirley sure, says. Sure. She'd do anything to keep him and his music going.
1: Yeah, well, tell me, this friend of yours saw something in a paper you said that scared her. Now, that's all you know, huh?
10: Yeah, and I want you to find out why and help her. Here's 50 bucks, Mr. Marlowe. That's what you charge, ain't it?
1: Uh, more or less, yeah. <clears throat> By the way, Mrs. Cantor, where's your ring?
10: Oh, uh, I sometimes take it off when I'm working. You do, huh? Yeah.
1: Well, perhaps when you hock it to raise 50 bucks? Look, Betty, I'm a careless guy. You, um, you better hold the money, huh? Oh,
10: but, Mr. Marlowe, Where do the
1: Vitellos live?
10: But, Mr. Marlowe... I'm in a
1: hurry, Betty, remember? Where's the address?
10: Well, it's 3140 Veteran Avenue. Mm -hmm. And in case you want it, Gilbert's studio is Benedict Canyon, 510. Thanks, Mr. Marlowe. You call me at Empire 1-7087, huh?
1: Betty Cantor was gone. I got in my car and drove out to Veteran Avenue. You know, she was a pathetic little creature. And with a little effort, she could have that touch-and-glow look. Oh, well. 3140 was one of those small but neat houses that grow like mushrooms overnight on a post-war California landscape. And it was locked, dark, and quiet. I went around to the back and started on the windows. The third one opened when I tried it. I climbed in, turned on some lights, and made the grand tour, then ended in the den. The only indication that anyone had been there all day was a current issue of the L.A. Star crumpled in the wastebasket. I pulled it out and started through it. On page five, I found the hole where a two-column story had been clipped out. And then somebody was at the front door. I started toward it, but changed my mind at the sound of the key in the lock. and instead moved back into the den and watched. A head that belonged on a gopher wearing a battered fedora and inch-thick glasses above a fur-colored coat peeked in. Gave the place to myopic once over and headed straight for the den. So I stepped out where he could see me. I
8: have never seen you before. What are you doing here?
1: You tell me first, Pop. I'm bigger than you are.
8: I am Doctor Abraham Sofman. Sofman? Oh,
1: the chemist Shirley Vitella works for. Her. Is uh-huh. that why you have the key?
8: Yes, she leaves unfinished. She leaves work here for me to pick up. It's a convenience for both of us. But now you, you can also explain, maybe.
1: Well, a friend thinks your assistant's in trouble. I'm trying to find out. The name's Marlowe.
8: Uh-huh. I suspected now I'm right. What? Shirley came to the laboratory late from lunch today and very much upset. She left again soon, right in the middle of our most important crimson test. Your what? Our crimson test. Oh, yes, yes. Without one word to me, she left. Never does this happen before. In all the five years, she has been my loyal right hand.
1: Uh, well, tell me, what's the nature of your research, Dr. Sopman?
8: Uh, we are developing new commercial dyes. Oh, such a beautiful crimson we have now.
1: Really? Shirley
8: knows as much as I do about all of it.
1: Hmm.
8: Mr. Marlowe.
1: Hmm?
8: Was it you who opened the desk drawer there?
1: there. No. <laughs> I didn't notice it till now. Two boxes of thirty-two caliber ammunition. Nine shells gone
8: from the top one. She kept a gun there. I've seen it before. That's gone, too. What kind of trouble needs a gun, Mr. Marlowe? Oh, I
1: could think of a few. And they all say we'd better locate Shirley and soon. Now, look, Doc, I want to just ask just you... Just one moment, what?
8: please. Maybe you will know if this means anything. I found this under her work table after she left this afternoon. Is it maybe something?
1: I don't know. Let me see. Empty reservation envelope from Federal Airlines, L.A. to New York, departure 11:35 tonight. Made out to Ruth Britton. Ruth Britton. Who's that?
8: Well, I don't know her, but she must be something to Shirley. Perhaps this Ruth Britton is the trouble. Well,
1: the airline number's here. Where's the phone?
8: It's out there in the other room, oh. there on the page.
1: Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Hudson two eight six one zero. Oh.
9: Good evening, Federal Airlines. Agent Frederick Stowe speaking.
1: Frederick, do you have a Ruth Britton listed on your 1135 flight to New York?
9: Oh, just one moment now, sir. I'll check. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, yes, we do.
1: Yeah, well, I, well, I've got a locator. Do you have an address or a phone number there?
9: Oh, no, sir, I do not. And even if I did, I'm look, afraid Freddy I Look, Freddie
1: Boy, Freddie Boy, this is important. I need that information. Now, describe it to me. What does she look like?
9: Oh, dear, I'm afraid I can't. Oh. I must have sold the ticket. I'm the only agent on duty, but I just can't seem to think where Try, I. Try,
1: will you think?
9: I am. How do you expect oh, me to remember awful. 75 or 80 faces every day?
1: Now, listen, I. Good
9: heavens, don't you think I get confused? Yes, I every do, time no, Nine I or do. ten jerks come in here at once, all wanting tickets at the Never same
1: mind. time. Don't
3: you think I have Skip the right it! To...
1: Frederickson. Now, look, Doc. Now, look, do me a favor, will you? What is it? Stay right here and wait for Shirley. If she comes back, hold her. I'm going to look up her husband, Gilbert. First stop was a newsstand. I bought an L.A. star, turned to page five, and found that the missing story was on a man identified only as Deniker, who'd been hit by a taxi on Temple Street at 8 a.m. The only reason it rated two columns was that before he lapsed into unconsciousness, he told the ambulance crew from the Citizens' Emergency Hospital that he knew he was going to die and wanted to clear his conscience by confessing a crime he'd committed. It ended with police standing by. I drove on into Benedict Canyon, wondering what kind of a bridge it was going to take to span the gap between a female chemist and a downtown traffic accident. I was still wondering when I got the number 510. All I could see of Gilbert Vitello's studio over the brush around it was something pseudo-Spanish that had been stuck onto a piece of vertical real estate by an optimist in the early 20s. A path had been opened from the driveway to the house, and as I walked to the door, the piano music from inside got louder, but not better. Even in the long-haired circle, that stuff needed a haircut.
3: Hey! Hey! Vitello, break it up a minute, will you? What's the meaning of this outburst? I'm working and I won't be interrupted. Who are you? What do you want anyway? Take it easy, Mr. Vitello. My name is Marlowe. Betty
1: Cantor sent me here because she's worried about your wife.
3: The waitress worried about Shirley Why?
1: Well, she's in some kind of trouble. Have you seen it tonight?
3: No, no, no. Not since this morning, but that's not unusual. I often work late. My music is very demanding. Now, what gives that waitress the idea that Shirley's in trouble? Your
1: wife's reaction to a newspaper story. It scared the wits out of her. About a taxi hitting a man named Denica. Mean anything to you?
3: Denica? Shirley worked with a fellow by that name once, I believe. But why would that story frighten her?
1: Well, I was hoping you'd tell me. Do you have a gun?
3: A a little .32 pistol. It's at home. Why? It's gone. See, here, what's this all about? Tell me. Tell me the truth and be quick about it. Oh, shut up. Answer my question. All right.
1: Uh, My wife was shocked by that item on Deniker. She isn't at home. She isn't at Softman's lab and hasn't been all afternoon. And what's more, she's got a gun. That's all I know, except for one thing. Who's Ruth Britton?
3: Uh, She's a friend of Shirley's from the East. She's been visiting relatives out here. Why?
1: Nothing. Maybe Shirley's got a plane reservation for her. That's all.
3: Mr. Marlowe, if that's all you have to offer, why don't you get out of here so I can go to work? I'm quite certain if Shirley were actually in trouble, she'd come to me for help. And incidentally, tell Betty Carter to take some, some, some vitamins or something. She's becoming a meddlesome busybody.
1: You know, there was a quality about Gilbert Vitello that made me want to sock him on the temperament with the heavy end of his grand piano. When I started down the path to the driveway, I forgot about him. Because a pair of headlights slashed through the foliage like a giant scythe. I ran to where I could see and watch the girl in a brown suit get out of a sleek new Hudson and start toward the house. Then she saw me. She backed away and then threw me one scared look and darted into a side path like a jittery cottontail. I followed as fast as I could, but it was home ground to her and in 20 yards I was outclassed. I lost her at the corner of a sagging shed and stopped to listen for her footsteps. I heard something else. But not in time to duck. Oh! Oh you, know, you, you you
3: you Marlo Marlo is that you Marlo? Marlo, what happened, Marlo? I heard a car come in with oh, a carrying who shut was
1: up, shut up. Shirley, she slugged me.
3: I I I don't believe it. You're lying.
1: Okay, I'm lying. But what it's worth to you, die hard. Your wife isn't kidding. She told me personally with a blunt instrument. Play that knee flat, Jack. Did you get something? Lumps.
8: Oh, look at How
1: about you, Dr. Softman?
8: No, nothing. Come in, come
1: in.
8: Oh. No, no one has come here. You found out something?
1: Ever hear of a guy named Denica Doc?
8: Me? Hear of Morris Deneker? <laughs> Five times in the past three years, Morris Deneker in Chicago has beaten me by introducing a new dye substance or a new process just days ahead of me. Huh. Five times this happened.
1: He's a dye chemist, too,
8: huh? A brilliant one. I admire him. But why do you Listen, ask this is you?
1: beginning to fit like a rubber glove. Hmm? Denica's in a hospital right here in L.A. He may not live, and he wants to confess to a crime. Here, look.
8: What? Read please? it
1: yourself. When Shirley saw that story, it threw her into a panic,
8: and now it only figures one way.
1: Your assistant has been selling your new developments to Denica before you released them.
8: No, it is not true. Shirley would not do this thing, not to
1: me. Okay, Doc, we'll see. Now, look, why don't you go back to your lab and wait? I'm going to the hospital now and do some more fast addition. If it comes right, just don't forget you're a scientist, will you?
8: Oh, I would not forget. Now, you remember something, Mr. Marlowe. Two plus two does not always make four, especially when you are adding up human hearts.
2: In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Wednesday's Wonderful on CBS with Dr. Christian, Groucho Marx, Bing Crosby, and Burns and Allen all coming your way over most of these same CBS stations. This Wednesday, Brother Bob Crosby visits Bing. Gracie Allen stumps the income tax experts. Groucho will be on hand with his ad libs and teams of opposition. And Dr. Christian makes a wily grandmother stick to the truth for once. So be listening this Wednesday, won't you? Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe in tonight's story, The Big Step.
1: It was 20 stop-and-go minutes through the snarled early evening traffic over to the Citizens' Emergency Hospital. All the way, I kept hoping that Denica's confession wasn't going to have anything to do with Shirley Vitello. But when I was there, standing next to Detective Lieutenant Matthews and filling him in to date, I racked that hope up under wishful thinking. Morris Dennecker had already come, too.
11: Yeah, Malo, about a half hour ago. He didn't say too much. How much? Only something about this woman you mentioned, this Shirley Vitello, and uh-huh. the formula for some kind of a bleaching agent. Then he went out again. And hey, look, this uh, this Vitello girl who currently adds up to something very... What does she look like?
1: Oh, blonde, about 5'4", maybe 30. Wearing a dark brown suit and all hat? That's right. She been around?
11: Yeah, I spotted her here in the hall about 45 minutes ago. Claimed uh-huh. she was a reporter, but she didn't make any small talk with the other news hands. I got a little suspicious. Just then, Denica came, too, so I went in there. When I came back out, she was gone. Hey, Marlowe, you know where we can pick her up?
1: No, I don't, Lieutenant.
11: Doesn't look so good for her. She could be pretty desperate right now, like a quick trip to the country.
1: Or like worse. She's got a gun, Matthews. And now, with Denica starting to talk, very little hope left. I better be going. Where? To? Just going, just going, Matthew. Hey, will keep in touch.
11: Wait a minute. Look, we have a big organization, Mr. Marlowe. We're equipped to handle all kinds. We could do almost as good a job as you. Just keep that in mind, will you?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you said almost. So long. I got back into my car and pointed it toward the Vitello place on Veteran Avenue again. Because I didn't know where else I could possibly pick up Shirley's trail. I felt like an uncomfortable emptiness was in the pit of my stomach. You know, like the guy who stands on a street corner and watches an ambulance in turn scrape up a traffic victim. He knows he didn't have anything to do with it, but that knowledge doesn't make him feel any better. Shirley Vitello was headed for trouble, bad trouble. And the pathetic little kid, Betty Cantor, who came into my office and started the whole thing, could get hurt in the process. Well, I parked in front of the place, which from inside... A desk lamp showed a circle of light the size and color of a lemon lifesaver, and the front door was open inches, as though somebody had left in a big hurry. I walked on eggs as far as the door and nudged it. And I saw it on a table in a far corner of the room, a note propped up against the lamp and nothing else. I started toward it. Don't
12: move. I'm behind you, and I've got a gun. Oh,
1: fine. 32 caliber out of the desk drawer, no doubt.
12: No doubt. Marlo, why are you mixing into something that's no business of yours?
1: I'm a private detective working for your friend Betty Candy. She's worried about you, Shirley.
12: Marlo, what's done is done. Betty can't help me. You can't help me. Nobody can help me. I stole Softman's work, and I sold it to Morris Deniker. I didn't count on a deathbed confession. Why'd you do it? I love my husband, and he, he needs money to go on with his work.
1: Oh. Gilbert's in on this with you, huh?
12: Oh, no. No, he isn't. He, he thought my wages were high, that's all. The note I left there on the table makes that clear. Also, it... Also what? It says goodbye. I, I love him, Marlowe. When I'm gone, he'll have enough money to carry on. Keep the studio that means so much to him. And nothing can be taken away from him. I've seen to that, legal-like.
1: Just what do you mean, gone, Shirley? How far is gone?
12: A long way, Marlow. All the way.
1: Suicide? Oh, no, surely you Mar-o, can't be that. let's met. not
12: talk anymore. And don't bother about that phone. It's only Gilbert. How do you know? So, when I pulled up outside here after I came from the hospital, he was home. I, I didn't want to speak to him, so I drove on until I came to a phone booth. And then I called here and told him to meet me at the Saffron Bar. <laughs> it's an old hangout of ours.
1: You wanted to leave a note for him, but didn't want to face him, is that it? Yeah. Hmm.
12: He'll keep calling on and off for quite a while before he comes back here. I I figured it would be better that way. I I didn't want him chasing me. (laughs) The sea air might give the big lug a cold. It always did. Well, Marlowe, it it looks like it's about time to put you away for safekeeping.
1: I don't think so, Shirley. I think the phone is about... No!
9: Next
12: time, Marlowe... It'll be more than a vase, but just as fragile. Now, the closet seat aligned and strong. Is, it should hold you long enough. Get in, Marlo. Go on.
1: Okay. In it is, baby. But first... What? The step you're about to take, Shirley. Yeah, I listen. I know all
12: about it. it. It's a big step, isn't it, Marlowe? We'll save your breath. I wouldn't be any happier in prison or running away, believe me. Not a bit happier. So long, Marlo.
1: Nobody's home. Shirley Vitello was mixed up about a lot of things in life, but that doesn't include closets, because the one she put me in was strong. The lining she called Cedar must have been hand-me-down armor plate from a retired battle wagon. So all in all, I was 45 minutes alternately kicking and resting while the insistent telephone marked the five-minute intervals for me. But finally, it was the wood around the lock that gave way! (coughs) I was out. Hello?
3: Hello, sir. Sh- Who's
1: this? Marlo Vitello, and save your question if you hear what I have to say.
3: Marlo, where's my wife? She was supposed to meet me here at the Saffron Bar, I and she's I said save
1: not- it. Now listen. Your wife's out to kill herself.
3: No, Marlo, no! Yes, hey, hey, hey,
1: tell me. Did you two have a favorite spot out near the ocean? I,
3: I don't see what I don't had- care
1: whether you see or not. Did you or didn't you? Uh,
3: yes, yes. The Redondo Fishing Pier below Santa Monica.
1: Good. Now keep listening, Vitello, and do as I say. Come straight home. But
3: Marlo, it surely... Do as going- I say,
1: Vitello I'm back here and sit tight with fingers crossed. I worry about the pier. Goodbye. The second connection was broken. I picked up the phone again, dialed 116, got through to police emergency operator, and from there to Matthews, who was still at the citizen's hospital. I told him to pick me up in a squad car and get ready for a fast 10-mile drive to the Redondo fishing pier, where surely Vitello was going to kill herself. Then I got outside and waited the four longest minutes of my life until finally Matthews screeched up to a halt. When I piled in, we took off. Siren, wide open.
11: It'll be less than a minute now, Marlowe. appears only a couple of blocks away.
1: Good. Better have Mooney kill that siren, Lieutenant.
11: Jack, we want to come in
3: quiet, Mooney. Okay, Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Well, uh, there she is. That tower's out on the pier.
11: Yeah, Mooney, pull up here, will you? We don't want to scare her into something. Matthews. What? That crowd there, halfway out on the pier. There's a cop with her. Yes, so there is. You better drive right up, Mooney. Looks like we're too late, Phil.
1: We were too late. At the center of a circle of the morbidly curious who always stand and gape, we found her lying face down in the greasy planks of the pier dead. She'd shot herself through the heart and the gun, and the same 32 she she'd used on me was lying next to her. Two bullets gone. I explained the extra shot to Matthews. Uh-huh.
11: Okay, one bullet fired up at her place and the other one here. Well, I hope
1: you're satisfied, Marlowe. What do you mean, satisfied? I mean
11: single-handed. You had to leave the cops out of it, didn't you? You had to go up to Veteran Avenue all by your lonesome, didn't
1: you? Now, you wait a minute, Matthews. I was
11: only oh, trying to... Oh, nuts. Hey, Moni. Where's the nearest phone?
3: Over there, Lieutenant, across the street, the Triple Eagle Cafe. The, pr- the patrolman here's already called an ambulance. All
11: right, tell him she can be moved. Come on, Marlo. I want to turn in a first report on this. Mm. Mooney, pick us up at the cafe.
3: Right, Lieutenant. OK, Bob. OK, let's take a look. So Shirley
11: Vitello was stealing formulas for those dyes from her boss and selling them to this Morris Deniker.
1: Yeah, oh, was Rosie until Deniker walked out in front of a taxi early this morning. And that
11: put him close to death and in the mood to talk.
1: Also put Shirley Vitello on the spot. Hey, is that the place you want to phone from? Yeah,
11: yeah. Look, one thing more, Marlowe. The girl's motive all the way through.
1: She loved her husband. He loved his work.
11: Yeah? Her, too?
1: Yeah, after his work. So since he didn't make any dough, she stole to keep him going and close to her.
11: There's the phone, Phil. Come on, will you? I may need you to fill in the blanks for me. I... Marlowe, I said I. I would heard like... you. I heard
1: you. The phone can wait, Lieutenant. Come on over here. What? I want to talk to that piano player.
11: Piano player? What about? The
1: tricky way he has of playing Blue Skies. What? Yeah. Hey, Bud, that's all right. You got a mean left hand there.
8: Yeah, I open in Carnegie Hall next week. Don't miss me. Yeah, I'll
1: try not to. It's just terrific what you do with that tune, you know?
8: My own particular arrangement.
1: Nobody else's, huh?
8: Oh, nobody. I've been working on this arrangement for a week.
1: That's all I wanted to know. Hey, Marlowe, what are you getting at? The phone, I've heard enough. Where'd you say it was, Matthews? Over there, the
11: left of the bar. But, Phil, what are we What time doing? is it, Lieutenant? Five after twelve. Marlowe, what a is
1: switch, it? A switch, a switch, Matthews. A switch? Yeah, one that'll knock your badge off. Will you get a load of this?
9: Oh, well, listen. Good evening, Federal Airwaves. Agent Frederick Stoltz. Listen,
1: Frederick, I'm the party who called before about the reservations for Ruth Britton on the 1135 for New York.
9: Oh, yes, I remember you. I'll probably. Never mind, it's police
1: business, Freddie. Did the plane leave on schedule?
9: Of course it did. But Miss Britton didn't make it, and she didn't bother to call and cancel her reservation.
1: Thanks, I've heard enough. So far, so good, Matthew.
9: Yeah, which means what?
1: The Saffron Bar in Hollywood.
9: Which means what?
1: Charlie Vitello didn't commit suicide, Matthew. She was murdered.
11: Okay, Phil, where's your man?
1: Right there, that table against the wall. Come on, Matthew.
3: Hawaiian music, sentimental rock, degradation, abomination.
1: I don't think it's as bad as all that Gilbert, old boy.
3: Marlowe, you a cop, the most insensitive of all people. What would you know about music? Just for the record, he's not a cop. My question still stands. What do you know about music?
1: As a matter of fact, not much. But you know, I'm fascinated by what they're doing with instruments these days. Really? Mm hmm.
3: What are they doing that might fascinate you?
1: Well, for example, take that picture where the score is done by only one instrument, a zither. What's more, it doesn't sound like a zither.
3: To a trained ear, a zither is a zither.
1: You mean you can't make one instrument sound like another? For example, uh, a guitar like a piano? Don't be ridiculous. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not so ridiculous. Why, only tonight I heard a guitar that sounded just like a piano. Real tricky arrangement it was, too.
3: Sounded.
1: You're joking. Oh, no, no. Oh, you must have heard it, too. It was while we were talking on the telephone. The
3: telephone? I talked to you?
1: Sure, you did. You remember? Uh,
3: Mom, you Mom. said you
1: were calling from here, the saffron bar, but the conversation was being scored by the uh, pianist at the Triple Eagle Cafe at Redondo Beach. A real tricky arrangement in more ways than one.
3: I, I, I didn't need it. I, I didn't really want to.
1: All right, what's the rest of it, Phil? He didn't want to quit his work and spend the rest of his life hiding in some forgotten corner of the globe. Which was her plan? Yeah. As I figure it, once Shirley knew she was finished, she decided they should both run for it. He was in on what she was doing all along.
11: And the suicide note? Uh, it was part of a plan. Oh.
1: Leave Hubby uh, here and innocent with the money she got for a shenanigans. Then frame her own suicide, a trail that would lead us to the Redondo Pier, her hat and coat floating in the drink. Uh-huh.
11: And after a couple of days of searching, we say the tide probably carried the body out to sea. closed
1: case. That's right. In the meantime, she's flown to New York as Ruth Britton and is heading on from there. Hubby here to join her at a later date.
11: Yeah, fine. Only Hubby double-crossed her and shot her so he can sit tight with the money right here. That's it, Matthews. Uh,
3: please. Please, give me another chance. Oh,
1: shut up. <laughs> Wipe and dry, Matthews, and take him away. I didn't go along with Matthews. I didn't even bother about my car, which I'd left in front of the Vitello place. Oh, I'd had enough. Not for the kind of person who'd hitch his wagon to a star only if the twinkle he saw on the horizon was the reflection of a dollar sign. Oh, yeah, they were a pair, all right, the Vitellos. A pair who finally canceled each other out. You know what? I'm glad of it.
2: Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Paul Dubov, Vivi Janice, Edgar Berrier, and Peter Leeds. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oran. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says...
1: This time I tangled with a mad Scotchman, a phony English lord and a beautiful blonde corpse in a freight house. All because of a butler who... walked on his knuckles.